This is Live with L Live, and welcome to Beyond Notes. I'm your host, Michael O'Reilly. And today, my guest is an accomplished musician, singer, producer, uh, recording engineer, the owner and operator of Bass Bin Studios in Montreal, Canada. It's my pleasure to have Albert Chambers with us today. Albert! Thank you, Michael. Awesome, man. How are you? Doing good, man. It's been a minute, right? Uh, Albert, I would have never dreamed that the last time I said "see you soon," it would it would twenty years would have went by. <laughs> really? Hey, man. You know, it's like you, you know, you decided on traveling the world and, and playing abroad, and I know that's where, uh, that's where the money is and that's where the gigs are. So, I mean, when you got to go where the are, you got to go where the gigs are. Yeah, that's kind of what my plan was when I first came out here. But I remember I saying to everybody back home, like, I'll be back in six months, right? It was like, I'm going for six months, and I'll be right back. And uh, that was uh, 22 years ago. I think we have a few friends that have done the same, right? And you, you guys we have do. just never came back. We do. A few of us are still out here. Yeah, man. Of course, we do miss home. And it's nice to see familiar faces. Uh, just to give everyone some background, Albert and I, we... Uh, We've known each other for many, many years. I'm from Montreal and Albert says from, uh, you're from Montreal originally, Albert? I am originally from Montreal, lived in New York for a while. My father's from Boston, Massachusetts, so I'm dual citizen, you know, so, but okay, we won't go there right now. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay man. And I can see that you're, you're at work now. So first of all, thank you so much, Albert, for coming on and doing it. I know you're like in the middle of, uh, you're with a client, you're in the middle of a session. Yeah. We're just in the middle of a session uh, working with a singer named Chris Robbins uh, right now in Montreal. And uh, yeah, so it's, you know, times are strange these days. But, uh, you know, uh, because of technology, I was able to work during the COVID, you know, like do some mixes from home, come into the studio, listen on big speakers, uh, and, you know, just to get a good reference and a balance. Uh, but I was doing a lot of like a lot of the work from home and uh I mean, I guess that segues to, you know, what we're going to be talking about and, you know, how important studios are today and whether Definitely. it's a project, a commercial, stu commercial studio to a project room to, you know, a, a bedroom, bedroom uh, studio. I mean, you know, you can do a lot today. Yeah, it's incredible. That's, of course, that's what I want to talk about most with you, because uh, you've been doing this for what, like how many years now, man? Have you, I mean, I'm going back. I remember we met. I, mean, I remember you were a bass player first, right? I'm actually a guitar player first and switched oh. over to bass in my 20s. Uh, I went to school, went to college and studied uh, for a while at Vanier and guitar and jazz guitar. And then um, when I moved to New York uh, and when I came back from New York, I, I don't know, I, I, I started working. I was working record retail and then working at Steve's and yes. started around on bass at Steve's. And then... Uh, somebody heard me play and uh, said, Hey, you want to, you want to sub for our bass player? And I said, okay, don't really, bass is not really my thing, but I fell in love with it. And then uh, ended up, you know, playing in funk bands, like, you know, with Shirley Murray and it's, replacing it's that were like way beyond my league, like Maurice Soso and, you know, uh, oh, oh my goodness, Maurice. Just, yes, uh, man. Uh, uh, he's just monster player. So I had cassettes of all of the live gigs. So I would just rip off riffs that they would do during <laughs> you know, just grooving and then they would pull these riffs. So I went, you know what, I'll just have a good ear. And I just pulled off all those riffs. And so people were like, hey man, yeah, you're a pretty good bass player. I was like, yeah, I have a lot of really good That's teachers. That's awesome. 
So you kind of you kind of became a bass player almost by default. It was yeah, it was totally by accident default, and uh, it just you know sort of uh, rolled into. Sorry, sorry about that. Okay. There we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, just uh, rolled into you know like uh, just me doing uh, you know more gigs and working at Steve's, and then you know eventually leaving Steve's and uh, you know wanting to do my own thing and to do my own yes. thing is just within the music industry i figured you know it's like what, what do people need in montreal and i figured rehearsal better rehearsal studios there were mm. a few rehearsal studios but i i really wanted to cater to the people that i served over the years coming through steve's and you know people like yourself you know that that i would go and watch in clubs and go these guys are all monsters and they're all practicing in these dives and i i, I said you know what i if i want to stay in my industry stay connected be able to maybe still play um, I, I thought that there were enough recording studios that I thought there was a huge lack of rehearsal studio. So I started with that and then just right. all gig, did some producing on the side, uh, but I didn't have any engineering skills, but I knew how to arrange things. So I have friends that worked on TV shows and, and they'd have problems with certain scenes and for, for TV spots. And they said, listen, we need, we need your ear, you know? So I would come in and arrange a part and leave. And that's, and that's what I wanted to, uh, to get to, Albert, actually, how you made that transition from a musician. And just to give some reference to people watching, Steve's is like the probably the biggest music store uh, retailed in, in Canada. And, and uh, we're talking, Albert and I are both from Montreal. So it's kind of like the Tom Lee of Asia or the Guitar Center, uh, that, that kind of thing, right? And, and I'm sure Steve's is still around. I haven't been home in a long time. I'm sure Steve's is still around, right? Moved, yeah. around. Okay, okay, yeah, it used to be down on, uh, my goodness, down on Craig Street. On St. Antoine, yeah. St. Okay. Antoine, well, see, I'm going, that's how old I am, Albert. I used to work at the Montreal Star, and the Montreal oh. Star was on, Craig, yeah, Craig Street, and, and the Steve's was just, yeah, used to, you know, yeah, yeah an iconic music store. So just to give people some reference, uh, Albert was working there, doing sales and stuff, and uh, I know we, we used to see each other like that. And then I remember you going to Basebin. Was Basebin was just a rehearsal studio when you started out? Yeah, it was strictly just rehearsal studios. I started out with three rehearsal studios, and they were of modest size. But uh, people knew my my reputation for you know customer service, and so when known acts would come to the studios and see it was actually me, the owner, it just like sort of like reverberated around town, and I really yeah. got an start the first couple of years and then ended up moving into another bigger building to do four studios where I was uh, pretty much like at for a good 17 years, 17, 18 years. And uh, during that process, it was like such a gradual process. I, I would accept to do gigs from time to time, but it was very rare. I was so busy with the studios and right. then... Uh, Ended up, you know, doing more producing and, and collaborating with, uh, you know, uh, Michael Litristitz was a really great keyboard player here. And, yes, uh, of course. I remember Mike, Mike. Yes, that's right. Mike was a great producer and, and we were working and doing a lot of projects and Michael was working, doing some stuff with Corey Hart and 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 they were getting tricks from like Umberto, these, these producer mixers that like work with Celine. So I was learning from a guy that was working with all these top engineers and top producers and how to basically do arrangements in either pop contemporary you know it's like type style mm -hmm. music so i got a really really good fast you know sort of like rushed 
you know, course in the industry. But I still didn't have any technical skills, even when I was Michael working with Michael. I I, I needed to be able to fly on my own, and and uh, I literally in my bigger space when I was on Saint Saint Lawrence on Saint Laurent, I had a space that was next to me that was sort of dedicated as an office, and uh, I said, you know what? I mean, you don't need a big big studio these days. You know what I mean? You need a, a nice, comfortable size control room and a booth right. that a can. Actually, the way I gauged the booth was I remember one singer uh, sort of like stretching his arms and doing this before singing. <laughs> and I did this. And if I could do this, I said, we're I good. Yeah, we're I good did. to go. Right. <laughs> so I literally I, I just had a, a kick of inspiration. I had been co collaborating with Gary Moffat, guitar player for April Wine, a Canadian band. Yes, for, uh, for of course. I don't oh, know. Grew up, and, with, uh, grew up with them, grew up with them. Gary would send me songs and I would send him lyrics back and, and melodies in, a, in an hour. And he was like, dude, what, you know, he really loved what, what I was doing. And I would go over to his place and record. And, and the thing is, he's there, you, you need to fly on your own at one point, you know, right. you know, and so that's what I did. So I was literally having customers come in for rehearsals. And one day I just took a hammer and I said, that's where my control window is going to be. And I slapped the hammer into the wall and started literally tearing the wall apart while clients were coming in because there was no downtime. There really wasn't much downtime at you. Yeah. We were open seven days a week, 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. till midnight. And I was I like, remember, man, I remember going to your studio, Albert. I remember you had a nice, uh, like a lounge for the musicians and uh, yeah. a great yeah. facility, great, great gear, man. It was always like, you know, top notch, super professional and, uh, but, but how did you, like the actual technical aspect of it, like learning about EQ and compressors and all, all that kind of, uh, where'd you get that, that? You didn't go to school for that then. You learned it no, really no. hands-on. That was really, really all uh, trial and error and, and working with people that had been doing it for, for, for a long time and, and learning some tricks of like, you know, less is more. And, uh, you know, and it, it was really a gradual thing. It's almost like equipment, right? People look at your... You know, like sometimes, you know, guys have these huge guitar rigs and, and they go, how do you learn how to do, you know, like, how do you learn how to work all of this stuff? And just like, a, you know, it's like you know, you'll have a console and they'll go, well, how do you learn how to, you know, yeah, yeah. You know all this, all <laughs> this equipment like... and outboard gear, you know, and it, you're like, well, I didn't start with all of that. I started with one thing and I learned yeah. how to master yeah. that one rack. And then when I, I, I figured I needed something else because either a song or a project needed uh, a certain vibe or a color. And I was like, I'd, and I'd read up about compression and I go, well, I think I need compressors. So I'd go out, use those compressors, but I would always buy equipment and learn about the product when I was working on a specific song or gig with a client. I would never buy just to buy for fun. It was, right. oh, this client uh you know sings better in this type of microphone i'm gonna get that type of microphone because that's what my client you know would prefer uh, that and, makes total and, sense yeah. man you it really it's, it's you're using everything in, in a, a real real world circumstances real life yeah. circumstances i'm sorry sure. with, with conditions and yeah that's, sure. that's awesome man i didn't know you did it like that that's how you kind of did it just gradually built up your knowledge built up your your collection of gear yeah you can't you can't learn all that stuff in, in overnight. I mean, it's a, it's absolutely impossible because yeah. there's so many there's so many moves that you do in a mix. 
You know, when people say, oh, uh, get this compressor, that it's an awesome for guitars and, and get this EQ and it's great. But it's like, as you're mixing it and as you're adding elements into the song, things start to change. And so you're gradually moving and nudging and you're going, oh, maybe a little less compression now on that kick. And maybe those frequencies are, are butting heads with the bass. And now I got to adjust that EQ. So all of those tools are all great. But if you're, if you're not making all those fine adjustments as the song is progressing in the mix, I mean, the, those tools are, are, are useless. I mean, yeah. you, you have to know, you know what's fighting with what. And I think that the, the biggest trick that I've ever learned out of mixing is, is learning how to make space for instruments to have their own space. Yeah, where they're gonna sit in a track and have their own space and, uh... and track. And, and, and a lot of times people, people don't understand mixing, right? They think it's, it's volumes, but it's, yeah. it's energy and, and, and frequency levels. So sometimes you, you, you might not hear a guitar, instead of turning up the guitar track, I'll find that frequency resonance that the guitar is most predominant then and just cue into that frequency and turn that frequency up as opposed to turning up every frequency in the yeah, spectrum yeah. of the guitar because now you're, you're you're adding other elements that might yeah get it's, in the way. It's, it's really an art isn't it it's really an art man i mean music that's mixed at a super high level and people that do this for a living i mean uh, having great ears uh you're, you're a musician yourself you studied music so you've got all these tools at your disposal uh, it's really an art. I'm just kind of reading up on it and getting into it, you know, a little bit. Just just working in logic, real basic stuff. But uh, I find it fascinating, man. You know, I've been a musician my whole you, life, but uh, not that that kind of um, that aspect of it. The best part of it is that if you're like me and you you love learning and you love music and you love sonics. I mean, I I love sonics and and I and I and I love music and um, I I actually never stop learning so that's i think that's what the thing that that gets me every time because every time i do a mix or every time i listen back to mixes that i did in the past i go oh what was i thinking you know and, <laughs> right so girl, it always keeps you grounded every time you know you put something out and you go i could have done a little better on that bottom end you know and and, and yeah. stuff gets released and stuff gets you know like put put out and i'm like yeah, but I wish I could have had that back, you know, just another day, you know, to like fool around with it. And I, I, I think it's, it's out there. It's been done. But that's the beauty of it. I think what you're saying is that it's a continuous process. You never you never get there. Right. You never get there. You never arrive and say, that's it. I, I'm everything's perfect. The mix is perfect. Music's perfect. Nothing else to do. I, I'm done with it. I think that's the, the beauty of it, isn't it? I think that most mixers. Uh, agree with me in saying at one point there, there's a, there's a deadline that stops you from mixing because you, you would never leave it alone because yeah. you'd always be, you'd yeah, always be, yeah. unless you had a deadline. I mean, you could be working on, you know, on a it, just going, you're going back to it every day and changing it and changing it. Yeah. Yeah. So sp speaking of deadlines, uh, what is, what's, um, you know, we're talking about what makes studios relevant, of course. And the first thing that's clear is of course, is the gear. I mean, you've got the gear, uh, I'm sure you've got, you know, the great microphones and uh, the proper, you know, the gear to really capture the artist sure. in the best way possible. And sure. um, what is what is a typical uh, typical artist that, that like that you work with now, Albert, because uh, I'm wondering, I, like, are there still like, um, 
you still have like four guys show up in t-shirts like and, and and you know i'm the singer this is the drummer i'm the guitar no you're shaking your you're shaking your head no right away they when don't... i get to track real drums i'm like <laughs> you know i have a, i've started to collect you know a really nice collection of like some really great vintage drum mics and you know and, and half of the time i mean I, what am i talking about half of the time 90 percent of the time any production that i'm working with when you're dealing with contemporary music pop hip-hop r&b uh even some country for that matter right everything's everything's programmed all the, all the drums I mean, all the drums. it's not it and, and things aren't programmed in a lot, a lot of pop pop music things aren't programmed because of necessarily because of time constraints or budget or things like that it's it's a demographic that you're targeting they enjoy a, a certain type of music for the sonic value of what it what it does and a real acoustic drum unless you're replacing it with all the stuff that you'd be using while that you would be programming with it's not going to have that sound right so there's a there's so there's no need for the real real drum coming into play because it doesn't play to that demographic. I see. I see. Yeah. I mean, you know? music music's changed so much, right? Over the last, uh, I mean, my goodness, you and I've been in it for like over twenty years, uh, more than that. My 30. God, I mean, like thirty years. <laughs> I'm going way back, and the way it's changed, it's just I still find it amazing when I listen to new music stuff that comes out. And I go back to, to the older stuff, my reference, the stuff that I love. And uh, it's interesting just that that's it. It's a demographic thing. People are consuming music differently today, right? And uh, well, they're, I mean, they're not just consuming music differently. They're, the music that's being made is made differently, right? Mm -hmm. So you have young kids that are in their basements using Fruity Loops and you know uh live and, and a lot of other programs that uh they grew up learning and 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 this was their only way of learning how to actually make and produce music not going into a studio and actually putting a microphone in front of something and learning about you know gain structure and yeah. you know what I mean? that, that's not how they learned how to record music to them it's literally it's, it's pushed. It's, it's all this with their it's fingers. Yeah, it's velocity yeah. and you know what I mean and samples. So it's it's so that brings a different sonic value to the music that people are listening to. So now all of a sudden, big producers are going. We got to change the way we work, yeah. or else we're out of business. Exactly, I mean, they have to adapt to adapt or die, right? Yeah, or else you you yeah. can continue doing what you're doing. But then all of a sudden your sound is dated and then you're wondering why nobody either wants to work with you or nothing's getting picked up or placed or you know what I mean? So, right, right. You, you so kind of you have to you kind of have to if you want to be relevant and, and be, be out there and, and be marketable, you kind of have to, to approach it that way, I guess, then. Sure. Sure. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. No worries. I just want to uh, uh, some hellos here. Uh, my producer sending me some messages. Say hi to uh, George. Uh, oh, Mike Belanger. Michel Belanger is a bass player. I don't know if you know about uh, Mike Belanger. Yes, of course. Yes, I haven't seen. I haven't seen him. Also, like it's been it's crazy. I have to come back to Montreal, man. When all this madness uh, is over, and we can travel again. 
Frank the Tank. Hi, Frank. What's up, Frank? And uh, my brother Nano. Nano is a singer from Venezuela. Nano, who are you, man? My good friend Nano. Some people saying hi to us here in Facebook because I don't have my Facebook open so I can focus on chatting with you. Yeah. I don't need so if anybody's watching that I know, I'm high. I yeah. can't see. I don't know how Zoom works. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm getting used to it myself. But I have uh, my producer and a shout out to Omar for helping us out here today to do that. Yeah. So I guess you, you're, a lot of your clients, are they like uh, singer songwriters who have written songs and they need someone to help them put it together and yeah. do the recording I mean, process? I mean, it's a slew of different types of things that I'll end up doing here. But yes, when, I, when it comes to productions and, and songwriting, yes, it'll be a lot of singer-songwriters. Uh, sometimes it's just a voice, uh, you know, that, that needs, you know, help with, with lyrics and melodies and, and productions. And, and, and for a lot of the times, though, it's like people coming in with ideas, great ideas, that they sort of hit a roadblock. And, and I think that's where I shine the most if somebody comes to me with an idea, and especially if it's an inspiring idea, uh, I love to be able to fly with that. So, um, yeah, a lot of- you get, involved, you get involved in, I'm sorry, you get involved in, a, in the writing process as well as, as a co-writer collaborating? Absolutely. I, I, I think lyrics are like, first of all, I love, I love writing lyrics. And um, it's one of my favorite things to do. If I could actually put all the sonic stuff away and not and be able to just do anything, it would be lyric lyric writing. Oh, interesting, man. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's like uh, you know that telling that story and making you know making that song accessible to somebody that can relate to it. I mean, all of the cliche things. You know, you want people to go, yeah, that's like me. You know, but a lot of people, that's a big, big, big part that people struggle with. A lot of times they're thinking about, you know, being too clever and, and writing too many metaphors. And then I end up listening to a song and, and going, wow, this is a, a great song, uh, but it's, not, it's, it's a great feel, but it's not a great song yet because I don't know what you're talking about. So it hasn't mm -hmm. moved me in that way for me to relate to it sonically i know who your demographic is who you're trying to target but i don't know who you're speaking to i don't know what you're speaking about right. so so you've got to step back and and really think you know apart from like forget about having a studio and forget about having gear and having a great microphone to sing in if you can take your guitar take your phone and sing an amazing song in it and i can hear that song through that phone Sorry, my phone's 10%. Cool. Then if I don't can- Don't die on me now. I need you, Albert. Don't die on me. Plug yeah, that phone in. <laughs> we got enough left. Uh, if we literally have a, a song that I can hear through that phone without any production value, without me trying yeah. to help you with any tricks, and it moves me, I mean, that's like- Yeah, that's, that's everything, right? That's yeah, I always, I always say that to artists, man. Yeah, if you should be able to sing it or play it just on your on a guitar or something, and have someone Hell go, yeah. "Wow, that's that's really nice." Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, I've worked with singers that have walked in. Uh, Audrey, uh, this one singer from Montreal, she's just so meticulous in her her lyrical writing, and I was I was you know super touched that she wanted me to you know add my my flavor lyric wise to you know an EP that she came out with uh, mm -hmm. uh, just last year. And it was just, she'd walk in and, and just, 
the the subject the 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 main all the main key elements you know that you want to hit in a song lyrically to touch somebody and and to have a video producer even listen to the song and go okay i know where you're at you're on the road yeah you're talking on the phone you're in the bed you're with you know what i mean it's like yeah, i like the whole I'm, thing plays I'm out in his head well, I'm more of a descriptive type writer, so I, I like I, I like descriptive writing. It's uh, better than you know metaphoric, and because metaphor can be like, you know, it's like it, it can mean anything to anybody. Where, but when you really, really target, you know, somebody, you know, I mean that, and 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 you make it clear, then it just opens up your audience, you know, to a grand scale, and some people refuse to go that route and i don't know why they wouldn't want their yeah. message to be heard to a wider audience it's just you know that's yeah well sometimes musicians and artists are their own worst enemy they get they get in they get in the way of themselves sometimes yeah it's got a couple of questions uh, a couple of shout outs gota is here my good friend gota an, an, another friend from venezuela an amazing drummer uh chris conway how you doing chris my irish brother thomas how's thomas doing listen to some blues i think earlier today Question from George. Albert, do you think there will always be room for studios or do you think that uh, they're, they're, they're going to die out completely? No, that they have. there has to be room for studios. For number one, you, you have to have a space where you can do multi-tracking and you have right. to have a that's sonically, you know, uh, capable to be able to capture multiple people in a room. There's not mm -hmm. only hip hop and, and, you know, even hip hop, you need, if you want a, a real string section, well, yeah. you got to, multi-track you gotta have a console and you gotta have people that know how to use that console and you gotta and have then when it when it comes to the mixing the mixing down things you gotta hear it out of some 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 serious some high-end speakers right you have to hear it at a certain level uh, i listen, imagine you know, listen, I, have, I have friends i have friends that mix for some huge artists and um they they have good speakers really great i mean for me, like a moderate, like a, a, a professional grade speaker, we're talking at least, you know, $25,000, $3,000 a pair, you know, and up. I mean, that that's like a standard, but there's there are much more. I have, you know, my distributor gave me these Amphiums that are behind me, and those are like, I don't know, like 10, 15 grand, you know, but I'd love I mean, hear them, man. I couldn't afford that, you know what I mean? But thank God mm -hmm. you have people that believe in what you do and support you. And, uh, but you don't need the Amphiums to be able to mix you know, uh, a, a hit song or, or even something that's great for radio or, or great for YouTube. You don't need, you just need really good ears and to be able to understand, you know, the frequency base. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of things you need to understand, but you don't mm -hmm. need the tools. The tools that we have today are sufficient enough for you to be able to, to get a mix to a level that you'd be really, really surprised. You know, it's like if, if some people mix with, I've heard people mix things with earbuds, like like iPod earbuds, because they know them so well. Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing, some, most mixing rooms, even amazing mixers, some of the best mixers in the world, they do not work in, in perfect rooms. Their rooms are literally like, you know, like you know, filled with all kinds of like bumps and, and dips, you know, and frequencies. Right. But they right. know that. They know that though that low end frequency dips a little bit below, you know, 80 hertz when he stands in a certain corner. So he doesn't worry about that. He, yeah. he knows. You know, so, so I think it's really important to know the reference of whatever you're using 
and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but and then how but, it's how it's going to be consumed? I mean, people are listening to music anyway, pretty much with with the earbuds and with, on their phones, earbuds. right? So that's that's another good point. So when you're mixing it on your speakers, great. It sounds great in your 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 big your bigger speakers, but will mm-hmm. it sound good on an iPhone? Because a yeah. lot of people are are listening first on their iPhone before they even put their earbuds in. So there's, there's zero bass frequency. Yeah, there's, but there's judgment's made right right away, isn't it? Hear the kick coming through that iPhone. So how do you do that, right? So you, how do you get a sense of the feeling of a song, listening it through little iPhone speakers? Well, that's the magic of like separating the big boys from the little boys is being able to listen to it, you know, on all different sources and being able to go, oh, okay, that that sounds good. I didn't lose anything. I didn't lose a feel. I didn't lose a dynamic. And and and, the, and now when I do it in my car. Wow. Okay. Now it's still it's- there. I think that's that's where the magic is in mixing, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that- awesome, man. So with, with the digital thing, being involved in it for so long now, what what would you say is is the the biggest advantage, and what would you say is is the biggest um, you know the pitfall of it? What's take taken away from from uh, from from music? Um, you know, just the, the the songs today that I hear, the quality of uh, music in general, I, I find has uh, changed so, so much. So, I mean, first of all, we discussed that there's not really any any more bands, so many ba- bands anymore, are, are there? No, well, I think I think you're diving into one thing. I, I think that it's really important that you know people get together in the same room. A lot of times, you're working with people and they they've never even met you. Yeah. you know, it's like I worked and collaborated and songwrited song song wrote for people that lived on the other side of the globe and i never even the files them. and never even saw what they look like uh they, they'll send me the tracks and i'll do my thing record a vocalist uh, a local vocalist for the track and then send it back and uh i i think that that feeling of having people in the room and that vibe of like creating yeah. at the same time you're all feeling the vibe happen and the development of the song and the creation process of the song all at the same time. Yeah, I miss that. That's like that. That, that yeah. only happens when you're dealing with a band, and sometimes if it's a songwriter that really wants to be one on one with you during the creative process, because a lot of times there are singer songwriters that trust me immensely, uh, don't care to be in the room. They want to. They want to be there when it's time to sing. They want to okay. be in the booth when it's time to sing. Then that That's and. It. and I'll guide them to whatever vocal arrangements and we'll work on, you know, we'll, a vocal track will take anywhere from three to four hours. Uh, and I won't push a singer past that point anyways, because I'm not going to get anything after, you know, yeah, three hours. Yeah, sure. Of course. So you, you, you gotta, you gotta understand that it's not about, you know, just like getting the job done that day. It's about knowing what, you know, the artist's limitations are and you want the best for the song. So you, you gotta have breaks, you know? So working yeah. with, yeah. working with people, I think it's the biggest, you know, part that's missing, you know, it's like, I would miss it immensely, man. I, you know, I've only recorded a bit of stuff on my own and I made a point of, uh, of trying to do with other people and going to a studio here in Singapore and, uh, with a producer and an engineer, you know, who had the right gear and, uh, and, you know, singing into the microphones and, uh, it just had a different feel feeling for me than just, you know, here's my files, man. And, uh, um, it's not ideal of course, because, hiring you know then i have to hire musicians and um bring them into the studio but i just felt a huge difference just like you said the feeling of of um doing something together i think that vibe translates into the music somehow as well i don't know absolutely absolutely i mean you know that's 
you, you nailed it. I mean, there's, there's nothing more to add to that, my friend. It's, it's really yeah. about, you know, having that, that camaraderie, you know, with other people, other producers, other writers, uh, you know, in, in the same yeah. room. I mean, that's what yeah. it's all about. Yeah. For me, for me. Yeah, me too. Me too, Albert. A few more hellos. Kevin Gill is saying hello. Uh, Christina. Hi, Christina's in Ukraine. Um, we got a couple of questions. Um, question from George. Uh, what is your preferred software? Uh, well, my preferred software is Logic Pro. And the, the one reason, and I'll tell you a quick story about that. Um, the one reason that I, I go for Logic Pro is Logic Pro at one point, I think it was version nine, they came out with a, uh, a comping uh, ability. So basically you would record a vocalist and then you would record several takes. And what yeah, it would man. do basically make a library of all those takes and you could literally pick a word. And as you're picking the word that you want to choose to create that comp, it would automatically in real time, you, if you pick, I love you, I love you would go straight to the top, do a crossfade, done. I didn't done. have to go, <laughs> I know. you know, section. I know. so I had, um, I had uh, the pleasure of working with Harvey Mason Jr. Uh, Harvey Mason Jr. is a, a producer based out of LA who's- uh, Is that the uh, son of the, the Harvey Mason, the drummer? No. Uh, okay, okay. Mason, so I think, okay. Harvey Mason Jr. has worked with uh, the likes of uh, John Legend, Beyonce, uh, okay. all the uh, Pitch Perfect movies, all the vocal arrangements and things like that. That's Harvey Mason Jr. Awesome. And uh, so Harvey Mason Jr. was in, in Montreal uh, actually helping out for uh, working on a film uh and um so i had the pleasure of recording these some some really great artists uh pink sweats uh was in the house and um so i told them uh he said oh you don't work in pro tools i said well i have pro tools but i i can't comp as fast you know in pro tools as the, I, you can't actually i said you can't comp as fast in pro tools as you could in logic and he was like well we should have a race i said well let me show you something and i showed him my comping style and i literally went through words like this fast it was like the the the, 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 the. and he was like awesome. what just okay yeah. <laughs> I'm quick, like, quick swipe yeah, i love there. it i love so it the first awesome. thing was, uh, was yeah um why doesn't pro tools have that and there well you, you you'll have to ask pro, pro tools that i i love pro tools pro tools can do other things that logic cannot do and come close to in automation for tv and film and post-production but comping, sorry, man, I do a lot yeah. of vocals, man, you know, and it's and like, it's, I don't, it's, I don't want to be afraid of doing 42 takes. Yeah. I don't want to be doing 42 takes and having to go, oh, go through all of that. It's a It saves so much time, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, question from Nano. Uh, what's your favorite musical style, Albert? And... Uh, how do you feel about Latin music in the current music industry? Oh my God, Latin music is like come leaps and bounds, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it, it's it's like this sort of mix of hip hop with Latin percussion, or actually, I should say, Latin rhythm influences, but with a hip hop feel, and just super sparse and oh i i love what's coming out now these, these days and um my favorite style of music is really anything that's genuine and good 
Uh, yeah. I, 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 I produced uh, a record for a young artist uh, from Nunavut uh, uh, that was a folk, folk album. And he just won a Canadian Folk Awards this year, just a few, a few months ago for that record. And mm-hmm. I mean, that record, when I listen to that record, I go, wow, I'm super proud of it. And it's super sparse and super simple. And for me, that's what moves me. When it's genuine, I couldn't even, under, I couldn't understand anything that he was singing. But the emotion mm-hmm. that he had, oh, there you it go. Was, it there was just exactly, man. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's I'm a music lover, so I I, I love all styles and, and all. Yeah, genres. I agree with you. I'm the same way. I'm exactly the same way. I could not just pick one style of music. You know, if it's done well and it makes that, like you said, yeah, you you got it right there. The emotion, if it gets you here and it gives you a, a, a if you feel something, it's like it's it's good. It's great, you know. And I, um, I, I find it's lacking a little bit today. I I always find myself going back to. Uh, slightly older music i mean there's some new stuff that's great that's great and um i'm always asking you know work with a lot of young musicians to kind of turn me on to it you know to recommend artists and uh just great stuff you know i'm always i'm always just just because you want to stay current right you you don't want you know creating music because even music in the genres that are uh more adult or that are not in the pop realm there is still a contemporary sonic value that you have to have for it to translate, you know, to today or else it'll, it'll just sound dated, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about the, uh, the, the Billie Eilish? Uh, uh, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. She won the Grammy. Uh, and of course, I think that was recorded in her bedroom with her, her brother or something. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, produced I mean, it. That's what your thoughts are on that. Happened. That's a perfect example of like being minimalist, but being extremely creative and knowing exactly what you want to hear. And, and I'm, I'd seen interviews of the, the, the guy that actually mixed that record. And every time they asked him about a certain element in the song, well, not every time, but for the most part, uh, they were like, so how did you get the vocals that wide? You're like, it's pretty much how they came, you know? Like they really, they nailed it. They just yeah. nailed it from the get go. And it just shows that, you know, there are some people that are skeptics. They're like, oh, you know, there's a whole team behind that and everything. No, they're they're actually really, really is. You know, it's like I know yeah. the back end story, and it's like, no, it's all him, and it's her sonic value. You know that she brings and her emotional value, and I think that's what got people, you know, like drawn to that record. They did yeah. not believe there was one single on that record. The label. The label did not believe that she had one hit, not even just a hit, a single. But they were, <laughs> feeling the, they were feeling the pulse because they know what the audience is, is looking for because she understands her demographic. She's like, I know what I like. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm well, going she to do nailed it in that regard. She nailed it in that regard. I think that that's a very, very, very important, knowing your demographic. And I mean... I'm much, much older than your demographic. And I made a point of listening to it this week because I knew we were, I was going to chat with you and I didn't want to speak on it without actually listening to it. So I did, you know, I put on my, my, my good headphones. I listened to it and some good, really uh, some great songs in there. Uh, I just found that some of the production and the, you know, the close mic whispery thing after a while, it, it just, just me though, just my opinion. It didn't really, uh, didn't really do it for me, man. I didn't. Um, I think that. Yeah, the important thing to, to, to note today is when, uh, when people are listening to music, 
They're not listening to records like we used to. They're not listening to a record from front to back like you did the Billy Ellish to just get familiar with it. There's mm-hmm. no hell that somebody's listening to that record that's from her demographic listening from front to back. It's in a library. They're they're going from a Billy Ellish song to somebody else to somebody else to somebody. They are not they are not sticking to that record from front to back. They yeah. do not listen to records like that anymore. They do not have the attention span like that anymore. Oh, that's that's they, that's, that's you. You just you just took my my next question was just gonna I was just gonna try and touch on that and exactly the attention span has changed so much. When we were kids, you were kids. You'd I remember like you'd buy an album and then you, there was double albums. You'd be like, a double album like oh my god two records and that's right. You know, and now it's um. I mean, do I think artists don't even really release albums so much as they just release singles, correct? Well, this is what's happening now. So now the new trend is, I'm sorry, I'm just plugging in just in case we get cut off because I don't want to say yeah. cut off. So you might get a different angle of my studio. So it's all good. Um, cool. So the most important thing these days is that what's happening is that people are thinking about singles. So singles are probably one of the most important things in the industry right now nobody's thinking about a compilation of like a whole bunch of songs they need to put out stuff fast because they understand that people's attention spans are super super short so Mm -hmm. they'll release a single and then in you know four months six months they'll release another single and another single and within that last year they'll go we're dropping an ep dropping a record you know what i mean it's like they're but I rarely have an artist come in and go, we're going to be working on 10 songs, 11 songs. That just doesn't happen in, not in my field, not, not, yeah. not in my industry. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think they could be releasing a song and I mean, not even for a record and it's for a placement in a movie. So it's, it has nothing to do with the, you know, a record. And you're, you're like, where, where, where's that song at? How come it's not on this record? It's like, yeah, it's not because they just released it as a single and that, and, why not? Because people aren't listening to a record from front to back, then why yeah. release them all on an album? Just, and people yeah, no, it's a, I get it. I get it, man. Well, people yeah, are streaming. People are yeah. streaming. They're not listening. They're not buying a whole record. So what yeah. would be the point of coming out with a whole record Yeah. today? I get it. I get it, man. Yeah. A couple of questions. Uh, let's see. Dream Theater. Dream yes. Theater. Are you, are, you a, are you a Dream Theater fan? Uh, well, I love the guys. The guys were great. <laughs> right. The, guy, the, guy, the guys were great. I'm not a, uh, a dream theater uh, fanatic, but I, right. I, I come from like an era where, where I used to play guitar, where if you didn't know how to play a minor arpeggio, you, you couldn't play in a band. Right. So I, 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 you know, I, I went through that stage of, you know, like, uh, you know, learning how to play, you know, not as well as in that fashion, but I could, I could pull off, you know, like all the necessary things that you needed to do to be a, a guitar, you know, like, a, you know, a guitar player in the, in the eighties and then, and in the early nineties. Oh my 90s. goodness, man. That, now, when that, that, that whole shred thing came out, I was just like, I could never keep up with that, man. Just all the, when those guys came out with all the big oh, yeah, hair bands and, and everybody started tapping and I was like, oh, I mean, I knew a little <laughs> bit of it, but I, I could never, I could never keep up with those guys, man. Neither could yeah. I. Maybe that's why I sort of moved to bass. <laughs> I love bass, man. I, I can't tell you, I, I've had the opportunity to, uh, to play bass on a couple of gigs uh, here, you know, if the bass player, something happens or, you know, 
and I, I love it. I can't tell you how much I enjoy it, man. I could, I look it's at my guitar. Fun. It's like it's just never mind. Here, man, it's just you know you hit one note and all the bottom. It's just you are um, the you are the foundation. You're holding rhythm. everything together. I see. You know, yes. like what do they say? You know, if you got a rhythm section. You got a bass player and a drummer that are locking in, that are super tight. Everything else can kind of fall apart, you know, at times. But if those mm -hmm. two guys are locked yeah. in, you know, you're you're, you're, you're off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Theater uh, was great, though. I mean, I I mean, I I love I love doing that that gig. It was a it was an opportunity that I got to work with Dream Theater, and it was totally a, a, an engineering uh, gig where they were accompanied by the Boston Berkeley Orchestra at the Boston Opera House. And um, Francois Lamoureux from Fogel Labs, who, who they've, they've done like every video from like from for Slipknot to Rush to Alanis Morissette. And, you know, they've done tons of DVDs and uh, Dream Theater was one of the gigs that they had to do. And they said, listen, this is like our biggest channel count gig that we've ever done. And we do not have a rehearsal for the night before to actually go in. So we're going to go in, watch them rehearse at the Hard Rock Cafe and just watch them and then go in and set up in the morning and the show will run at eight o'clock and then we're out by 11 o'clock after they turn off, you know, union turns off the power. Right. So I literally, <laughs> union. I literally had a whole bunch of gear thrown at me and it was like, okay, set yourself up. You're on your own. And uh, the killer part was that um, there was no, at, at this was the, the funny part. And this is the most challenging part. And this is the part that gave me the most confidence to be able to tackle any gig after, after this. Mm -hmm. While we were there, we did a line check for uh, the band. So Danina Armando was taking care of the band and I was taking care of the orchestra. So I was on stage uh, walkie-talking um, uh, Denny on each input that you know, the, the front of house sound man would be checking and I'd be saying, okay, he's working on Tom one. Are you getting signal? Tom two, are you getting signal? Right. Bass drum one, bass drum two, bass drum three, bass drum four, dream theater, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so after we did drum, drum line check an hour later. Um, yeah. So after we did the whole band, uh, I said, okay, great. Now time for line check for orchestra. They're like, uh, no, we don't have time. Everything's plugged in. You got to just hope for the best. I go, okay, I'm hoping for the best that things are plugged in. Not only that I'm hoping for the best that things are plugged in, now I got to hope for the best that volumes aren't about to peak when they start playing. So while they were tuning before the show, I would literally just by memory, I'd, I'd have a list of, it was a 64 piece orchestra, 24 handheld microphones. Oh my and goodness. The rest all, all orchestra. So if a timpani player would start tuning his drum, I'd go straight timpani channel 24, mm -hmm. gain, pad, gain 24 gain, or pad, you know, 24, <laughs> 24 dBs again, pad, 35 dBs again, okay, uh, you know, string section. And I would literally guess all the volumes of all the instrumentation from years of tracking different instruments. I mm -hmm. said, well, it can't be, can't be any different. Can't you know, how different. far off could I possibly be? Yeah. Well, I could That's be so far thing. off that it would peak in the red and then they can't use that track anymore or not enough level. And then he'd have too much floor noise from the band. Right. Because they're playing in a pit. So when the band started, 
literally i saw all my leds like go right up to like maybe minus 16 minus 12 dv which is exactly what you want and it was from mm -hmm. a pure guest standpoint and the whole time that i was unsure of myself and and questioning myself i i realized that all of those years had basically been training for a moment like this to work under pressure like that that's and amazing. Such, that's, a, that's, a, yeah, that's a great story, yeah. Albert. Yeah. I mean, a lot of other engineers would have just crumbled, man. It would have just went like, oh, well, forget it. Like, you know, just try, trying, to, trying to get it to, uh, to, to the right point where it's not clipping and you, you're just and you, you have a, a nice, nice, healthy signal. I think at one point you just like say yes. You know, when you, you got to have confidence and you can't have yeah. you, you got to you got to know when you're ready for a gig like that, too, because if I if I didn't think that I was really ready for a gig like that, I mean, I, obviously I wouldn't want to make make a fool out of myself. It could have actually ruined my career yeah. as opposed to trying to, try to help it. It would have literally ruined my career. Oh my so uh, I think doing gigs like that and just having the courage to, to be able to go. Yep. I, I know when I'm ready. Know when you're not ready to tackle mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, a couple of hellos from uh, Andrea Lopez from LaFonda Johnson. Hey, LaFonda. Uh, hi to Lennon. Uh, he says that it looks like you have an amazing desk, an amazing studio there. It looks beautiful. Yeah, actually, there's a great story behind this desk. Uh, when, when I moved into the studio real, real quick, like, um, I did not have the console when I moved into this new facility uh, three years ago. And um, it just so happened that I was looking for either a sidecar of like Neve or, or, you know, at least 16 or 24 channels of, of freeze where I could track multi-track, you know, like uh, drums, especially drums. So, right. you know, when we're talking about a commercial studio, I definitely wanted to do some multi-tracking and not just work with just single artists, you know, and, and, and things like that. So um, as I was looking around, I got a telephone call from Lionel Amel, who is a guitar player for Cirque du Soleil, uh, and, and I, I didn't know who he was, but somebody from the grapevine told him that I opened up the new facility, and he had a console that was here in storage that he no longer wanted to pay for storage, and asked if he could place the console. It's a Midas 1986 Pro 4 console that's absolutely, like, it was basically the only console in the 80s that engineers would demand for if they were going to record a live show. Mm. So it was, the, and it was the only console that Frank Zappa ever endorsed. Awesome. Well, that says something right there. Yeah. That, no, another point to this console, it was actually Journey and ELO's tour console back in the 80s. Wow. So, he literally had it delivered to my studios. I mean, I had to invest in wiring it up and, you know, and all of those things, change my converters, blah, blah, blah. But I got a 48 channel Midas Pro 4 1986, like absolutely amazing, warm, fat sounding console. And it's a beast. I love it. I love it. Amazing, man. Thank That's you, Leonel. Thank you, Leonel. Yeah. <laughs> uh hey isaac is here man my uh he was my most recent drummer he's back in in uh, in la right now because we all got uh of course put out of work back in march because of the COVID thing so uh how you doing isaac good to see you here is there any uh, speaking of gear is there, is there any gear over the years albert that you sold and that you now kind of regret that you sold okay thermiotic culture uh culture vulture I sold that to a keyboard player. I think what just before I moved base bin, my uh, my second location on Saint Laurent, 
at the end of the tale of that studio, I just thought it was like just a glorious piece of really cool character analog, dirty type pre-compression like a uh, piece of gear that I wasn't using as much as I should. Okay. But oh my god, when I did use it, I loved it and I miss it. <laughs> I miss um, it every day. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. Funny. Yeah. That's I thought there, I thought there would be a I thought there might be something like that as story there oh. after being involved in music for so many years, you know, you have gear and you acquire oh, yeah. gear and then you go yeah. like I'm not going to use this. I mean, I've sold guitars now that I so regret right selling you know like gibson j45 beautiful acoustic oh. from the oh, oh. I, I just yeah i don't know what i was thinking Why? man i went to the music store and i'm like i know i would give anything to have that guitar uh, uh you know i had a uh a 70s telly uh, that i i sold years ago again oh. yeah but you yeah. know you, you don't know right you don't you don't think that far ahead and uh yeah that's no, awesome, especially man. in our especially in our industry, we don't really think we're we we we're we're emotional. We're artists. We we yeah. we're emotional people, right? And uh, yes. we we don't necessarily cling to certain things. We just like go and apply, and yeah, that's cool, and that's all I get. Yeah. But then you know when it's when it's said and done and it's gone, yeah, we yeah we you know, mm -hmm. we miss it, you know. Yeah. Definitely. Well, listen, man, this is great. It's so nice to talk to you. I really appreciate uh, all oh, your insight you and your knowledge, your knowledge here. And uh, definitely we can see that uh, the, the relevance of studios is still uh, still very relevant in 2020. Uh, your, your, your proof, your living proof there, you're doing, you're still doing your thing back home in Montreal right. and uh, still thriving, man. It, it's great. It's great. It's so nice to see you. Before I end, uh, I always, I've asked so far, this is our fifth episode. I always, I've asked all the guests, um, if they were stuck on a desert island with uh, some kind of a device that only can stream three artists, uh, would you be able to pick three three artists that uh, you'd have access to, but only those three? Oh well, I, uh, you know, and I usually I usually brief the guest in advance, and I'm sorry I should have given you a little heads up on that. No, one, no, that could be a that could be a hard one to answer, right? Yeah, I. I uh, I mean, listen. I mean, I'd be. I'd love to stream with Stevie Wonder, but he wouldn't see me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I guess you know an audio stream would be fine. I'd be cool with that. Yeah, Stevie, Stevie. Uh, you know, Stevie Wonder would definitely be on the top of my list. Um, I, I guess you know it's like uh, I don't know, like uh, old old rock like uh, david lee roth just to have a crazy conversation with a guy like that you know and have all the, the crazy stories and and notes and anecdotes and i mean you know he's just like okay yeah, you're thinking of like uh, being able to, to to chat with them okay that that's that's a cool angle as well okay yeah you know what i mean it's like just trying to you know get tips and and, and ideas you can never get enough you know tips and 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 uh, advice from people that have been doing it forever and it doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. have to be like an engineer or a producer or you know we're in the entertainment industry and that yeah. stretches you know like a, a whole lot of different different places i don't i don't know like a third one uh, geez uh, i don't know off the top of my head uh, uh i don't know larry david you <laughs> <laughs> so, need a sense of humor in there man Listen, I, I watch a lot of tv man you know it's like i don't know what to tell you yeah uh, listen I, I we've been on for a while i don't want to keep you too long but we we've got two requests i don't know if you'd be able to even do it but uh to give us a quick uh little tour of your studio with yeah. your phone 
Can you show us the route? We've got a couple of people asking before we uh, before we end, Albert. Okay. Well. Uh, okay. We so can, let's uh, let's do this. Um, I guess could I turn this around? Yeah. I guess I can turn this around. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, man. This is my this is my control room. Nice. Oh, very nice, Albert. Beautiful, man. Right. So what we have here, and we, we got a little bar here. Yeah, gotta have a bar, man. Come on. Gotta have, have a bar. Musicians. I mean, musicians, right? They need a shot. Um, so you have a TV screen here, which looks into Studio G, which is occupied right now. It's my big live room. And, okay. But I do have my vocal booth, uh, which is right here. And so nice size. Uh, this is a perfect size uh, vocal booth. You could actually fit a small drum in here, but I wouldn't. I mean, uh, okay. I have a I have a thousand square foot live room that I you know that I use, and the facilities are uh, pretty pretty large. So that's just my control room. But then if we leave here and we go into the hallways, so then we have it's an eight thousand square foot facility. So we have uh, Studio F. These are all smaller rehearsal studios. This is big Studio G with the double doors. Uh, studio E, Studio D. We're gonna go real fast here. We got a little into Studio A. So this is an example of like some of the, the seven studios. So these are rehearsal studios. Look at that. All Beautiful. nice and clean. That's uh, oh, the I way remember. we like to keep it. Uh, we're dealing with, you know, a lot of high-end clientele. So we've had everybody from Jesse Reyes, uh, Leon, uh, Bonnie Pointer, who just recently passed away, unfortunately, oh. uh, just, just in the last year. This is another studio, another 20 foot high ceilings. You know, so these are, it's great, 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 great. Uh, what a beautiful space, man. You've got a lot of space and, there, huh? and as you walk down the hall, uh, so. Oh, I think your signal is uh, starting to break up your Wi Fi, Albert. And our clients walking in we got a little sitting seating area here and we have another lounge area here where people can chill you know wood very nice. i like to feel like i'm in vermont you know that's kind it of looks, my vibe yeah you got the very a very right woodsy back. kind of vibe there going it's on. a woodsy vibe rustic. yes uh it's uh I, you know what i i i wasn't joking i actually love going to vermont for like get you know weekend getaways and i kind of wanted to bring Vermont into uh, my studios. So I didn't feel like I was at work. So uh, thank you for that's awesome. And what a beautiful space, man. If I get back home, I'm def I'm definitely going to come and see you, man, for sure. I mean, I will get back home one day, but probably uh, switched over to the other. Wow. Okay. There we go. Great buffering. Thank you. Thank you for doing that, man. Yeah. Oh, man, my pleasure, man. And thanks for coming on, really, and sharing your knowledge, your experience. Uh, I really appreciate it, Albert. Really, man, it's really nice of you to come on. And uh, oh, you're well, you're welcome, my friend. I, I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, it's really good to see you. At the end of the day, it's all about you know those connections, and uh, yeah. I, I, I'm so happy we got to like, even chat, even if it was just like this. You know, it's been too long. Awesome. It has been. It has been way too long. Yes. All right. I'll I'll end it there. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. To be on notes, we'll see you next Friday. And once again. Albert, thank you very much, man. Appreciate it, bro. All right. Thank you, brother. Take care. Peace. Take care. Thank you.